I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Lacole, here with Benji Nyson for the Giro d'Italia Stage 11 recap, the Montalcino wine stage, the gravel stage with 35 k's of gravel in the last 70. I think that's a higher proportion than Strada Bianca itself. I might have just made up that statistic. Here is the profile, though, in detail. 163 kilometers long. We have the first 46 k's easy. No strade at all. There's a few climbs. And then the settore start with a 70 k's to go. And the first one's got actually the longest downhill section of gravel descending. And it's about a 9k long section. And then they do a 3.7k, 8.3% gravel climb. They then have a false flat sort of ridge and then another climb up to, uh, it's called the Paso del Lume Spento. Benji correctly called these false, um, they're fake news climbs, these ones. They're like quite steep when they're actually going uphill and then downhill and the average gradient is a lie. Long road descent, another climb, a gravel climb, descent on the road again. So that's pretty good safety-wise, one has to say. And then the final climb starts with about 15 k's to go, Paso de Lumes Bento again, 9.2 k's, 4.5%, then a descent into the finish in Montal Chino. Benji, how are you feeling after the solo podcast yesterday? Thanks very much for doing that, by the way. No worries, no worries. I actually uh, I enjoyed it, but I'm glad you were back, honestly. I it, It's different and it's a bit more of a struggle, but I was so looking forward to this stage and I uh, don't Me think too. I would be able to recap everything on my own looking at how yeah. this stage went. So uh, I guess I'll, I need I'll a bit dive of right too. into it. I'll I need a bit right of help too. Because yeah, why am I still wearing the sunnies in, in Europe? Well, because my eyes are just bloodshot right now. I don't know how I've managed to fly from Australia to Europe and not miss a single minute of Giro racing. But that is, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that. Before Benji lets you know what happened with the breakaway in this stage, I want a big shout out to our show partner, LaCole. They've got the Project Aero McLaren collab going on right now. They've got the Velo Games LRC, uh, League where I think Benji's doing, unfortunately, pretty well right now, better than me. And so the winners of that receive kit. If you're not in the Velo Games League, there's the LRCP20 discount code, LRCP20, all caps, discount code for 20% off. There's Strava challenges. LaCole just hit 500,000 members on Strava. So a lot is happening with LaCole at the moment. So just wanted to let you know all those things. If you want to check out their kit, the link is down below. They support the channel. Menji, this breakaway. So for this breakaway, expected, uh, we expected big stuff. I, I thought we'd see people like perhaps a bet you all send forward just in case before the uh, Cerrado second, uh, sections happen, before uh, the race really opens up as a bit of satellite riders on these races and uh, all that stuff didn't really come into play. I expected much more from the break. Like, we it's had... Again. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. We had attacks with Lorenz Nassen, Lise de Bond, Batalin, Gavazzi, Guglielmi, Van der Hoorn, Kluge, Van Hooke, Lindemann, Schmidt, and Kovi. And this was one of the first attacks of the day. Like, usually in the last mountain stage and hill stage, we had 
60Ks of trying to get in the breakaway. I was, I was expecting yeah. this, the same on this kind of stage. But the second that these riders got away, Ineos put themselves at the front of the group and they were like, it's done, people. They could still try to attack, but they did that at the right moment, making sure the gap from the peloton to the breakaway is significant so that it's harder for people to bridge. And yeah, this breakaway group has some interesting candidates. I think that Lawrence Nassen was uh, top three in the um, oh, Elfsteden Ronde, I think it's called. Some uh, some couple of races we had in Bruges a few years ago. I actually wrote the Sportif of that race a few years ago, and I inherently died doing so. Uh, Dries de Bond, he, uh, Belgian champion, of course, also decent at cobbles, has not really gotten a strong victory outside of the Belgian championships. He's gotten some lower Belgian classics. Battalion, where you know him, has a bit of a punch, but hasn't been there for years now, I think. Van Hooker, the climber, Gavazzi, we saw him the other day when La Fe won, Guglielmi, Van der Horn, we know who Taco is by now, Roger Kluge, the lead out, <laughs> Schmidt and Kovi. I think Kovi's the one that I was really interested in because I thought Gerard Zwerging last year, he had a great result. That is the final uh, couple stage of Bing Bang Tour, so that would really fit here. I honestly didn't know much about this guy named Mauro Schmidt from Quebec Assels, and uh, oops, um, but um, I'll I'll get into the rest of this breakaway later. But from that point well, onwards, no, gap, notable absentees, Benji. Notable yeah. absentees, Brambilla. Yeah, he remember him at Strade. What year was it when he was on Quick Step? He was so strong. He went up on the final climb to Siena and then got caught by. I think he was doing a reverse attacking, so Stiebach would sit on Cancellara. And he, he's been really strong, and this suits him even more with more climbing. Sagan, I thought, might get there. Betiol perfectly suits him. We A lot of people thought this was his stage. Chicone, too close on GC, so couldn't go up there. Uh, Nick Schultz. There's so many riders I thought would get in a stronger break. But, yeah, go on, Benji. I mean, 14 minutes or something because no one wanted to help Ineos. Why did no one want to help Ineos pace this why why didn't ef pace or other teams pace like bahrain well i think that at that point that break was gone with no important riders for any team like no satellite riders for any team that is really important for gc so i think that Ineos didn't really want to pace they didn't really want to control the race for the breakaway necessarily they didn't want to win the stage today as to be honest i i wouldn't know the value of doing so for like 50 kilometers before the Stirado sections anyway if they can just drop the bomb on the Stirado sections themselves and other teams, like, why would you? You're basically bringing a team with Ineos to the first Cerrado section, and you know that they're going to do something. So why would you pace in the peloton? I don't know. I think that the only thing you can say is perhaps for the stage, but I think there's more important things than the stage in this Giro for a lot of the GC teams, and that's gen- genuinely GC. Before we get to that first Dorado stage, I just want to expand on what Benji's talking about because it was already on Italian, uh, the Rijkaard Ridge. You know, people are asking, why don't Ineos pace the break back? Because, uh, spoiler alert, the break wins this stage. We don't have, I mean, we told you there's a 14-minute gap to the breakaway with like 80Ks to go. The break wins this stage. And the reason why Ineos don't pace is, first priority, never let Egan Bernal be isolated until the last 15, 20Ks of the race. And that's priority number one. Two, they don't care about the stage win. They're happy to just put pressure on their GC rivals on the road. He's not going for a Pog and Rog bonus second sort of strategy or Roglic strategy. Three, they want to keep the team team together so they can hit designated sections as hard as possible with Ghana, Castroviejo, and Puccio. They maybe control a little bit with Puccio, who can't do the high watts on those sections. They don't want to just pace on descents and flat sections with Ghana 
on non-gravel sections and in medium mountain stages you didn't see that the other day when Bernal won that stage he only won because FDJ kept that break really close and then when Ineos wanted to hit it late the gap was close enough for then Bernal to bridge across Ineos had no interest in pacing all day burning Ghana and Moscon so then when it actually comes to crunch time they're not there to pace so that's why Ineos keep their troops in reserve and that's why we're seeing a lot of breakaways winning in my view because other teams are not strong enough or willing enough to actually take them on early. But Benji, that first sector and Ineos hitting it hard, let the people know what happened. So what happens before a bit of a sector is that every single team wants to get their riders to the front of that group and place them in a situation where they're as positioned as possible for the upcoming sector. And we saw that Ineos, we know that they're so strong at positioning themselves before sectors and before doing uh, important things before sprints, third kilometer rule in flat stages, that kind of stuff. We know they're great at it. And they went to the front, they sat Bernal, I think, in third position behind two Ineos riders, a few Ineos riders in the wheel of Bernal just to take over if necessary. And we saw that other teams were trying the same. Evenepoel was relatively close to the front as well, but the moment they were starting to come towards the section, it looked like Evenepoel was being pushed behind a bit by all the other teams trying to get over him. And that's a bit of the washing machine effect that they call it. The washing machine effect as the other riders trying engulf the riders in front of them to get in a better position. And it caused the Emco to be in 20th position or so going into that first Tirado section. And we said it before. I said it yesterday as well. Positioning is key on this on this terrain. And that's a huge mistake. And if he starts in 20th position, then he has to pass a lot of people that might not be able to follow what Ineos is about to do to everybody because... Ineos was prepping and Ineos went to the front, Ghana in first wheel. They go on to the Sterato section and Ghana starts hammering the hell out of the group. I don't know what Watts he was pulling, but I bet, I bet he can launch a rocket to Mars with it. So <laughs> Elon Musk could give him a call. But to be fairly honest, like Ghana was so powerful on this first section to the point where in a certain corner, he almost crashed himself because he went so fast over it. And that's maybe an indicator that he was very much taking risks to do this. And it certainly paid off because after a good, uh, I think we were about 30% into the uh, Serato section, we saw gaps opening up in the back and we saw perhaps one rider on the left having a puncture, two riders from Cofidis crashing on uh, on the side. I hope that it's nothing too bad. I thought Berhan was part of it, looked pretty good, but some other rider was still laying there. So I uh, I hope there's nothing bad there. We could see it on their social media channels. But, this is um, with 60k to go, by the way. This yeah. is not close to the finish. This is 60k's to go. And the reason Ghana's hitting it so early is because Ineos believe correctly that he's not going to get off, get over the 3k, 9% climb that's coming up after the, the first gravel section. So just spend him there. And that's what they did. They gapped Avonapol and he was on the wrong side of that split, whether that's through legs, bad positioning, descending, because there was half of this gravel section was descending. We don't know exactly. Benji and I will opine on that later. And so a group goes clear, and, and Bernal is just cl clinging right to Ganner's wheel. What did that gap get up to eventually, Benji? With you had two Ineos and Movistar pulling at the front with 50Ks to go, and then you had EF Astana de Kernick caught out behind. What was the most that gap went up to? 45, or was it even more? Yeah, I think it was around 40-45 at that point. Uh, it might have been a tiny bit more, but on the Strato section, it was mainly the moment that Remco was caught behind that second group. Well, at the back of the second group, that caused the trouble for the Koenig because they were all around Remco at the moment. So they had 
teammates for him, but they weren't at the front of the group, so they couldn't set the pacing. And it's not easy to pass everybody on the gravel section to get to the front of that second group to start that pacing. And yeah, Ghana could pull even more and pull even more until the rider from Remco's team, I don't know which one it was, I think Honore was at the front of the group at a certain point, pacing pretty hard to try and save that. Daniel Martinez of Ineos was also in the group of Remco, so that's a bit of a uh, a mixed thing for Ineos, but bad, I don't think they care day. about him. I don't think they care about him in this situation. I think they said, oh, Bernal's taking time on Remco, let's hammer it, and they yeah. kept on going. And I think by the end of the Sterado section that... Uh, Remco had somewhat of help in that second uh, group and that caused the gap to lower a bit. And I think it went to a good 30 seconds going off the first Sterato section, which means that on the asphalt section, the normal road section just after it, that they honestly had, ugh, I'm not sure if you can call it an advantage, but they had an advantage over earlier on the gravel section because it's going to go better on the normal road if you got dropped on a gravel section than on the gravel section beforehand. But um, they had to pace against Ghana as a whole team of the Koenig. And if that is happening, you know you're going to spend a lot of riders. And by the end of that road section, I think that Remco had one rider left, Almeida. And if you've got one rider left, then uh, it ain't looking good for you. And but... he was having to pull it himself. Yeah. Even if Paul was having to do work himself. They do get back. 48 Ks to go, the, that third group, because they've got the break, Ineos group and the Koenigstein EF group. They do get back before the Paso de Lume Spento, the, maybe the first of the longer climbs of the day. And it seemed like that climb didn't get done at the hottest pace, yep. Benji. And there's a few reasons why I think the climb, I haven't got the Strava data yet, a few reasons why I don't think that climb did done by the hottest pace. Martinez was pulling. He's a man who was already having issues, so he would have been tired. Well, he was sitting on with Remco, but still, he was not in great position earlier. Didn't have a good day. Luis Leon Sanchez was pulling for so long, I mean, in the, yep. that group as well. And most of all, the biggest example is, with about 38 Ks to go, George Bennett attacked with Tobias Foss on his wheel. I actually quite liked this move. Actually, I think it was quite a good move. Mm-hmm. But the point is, if... The teams were smashing it. I don't think you'd be seeing a George Bennett, yeah. Tobias and, Foss attack. And Vermeer, I mean, no one was really dropping apart from Vermeer. But Benji, Avon, I've just said that. I've just said, oh, the pace wasn't so hot. But where was Avonapol still after they got back to that group? Yeah, they got back to the group and he was at the back of that group just trying to hold on. And at certain points, he was on a bit of a gap. But it looked to me like on the first section, he was having more trouble with the positioning earlier on. And he just spent a lot of energy trying to get back because you got to keep in mind, the first section was the most technical one, according to riders like Betty all saying so beforehand. The second one was not as technical, but had the uphill section. So I think that Ineos was clever pulling hard on the first one and not on the second one, because you know that Remco, well... I expected him to have more trouble with positioning and with bike handling on the first sector compared to the climbing aspect of the second sector. And that was a really clever move. They brought him in trouble. He had to spend energy to come back. And by the time he was on that second, uh, whatever the climb's called again, I, I forgot, but on that Lumes second... Bento. Okay, Lumes Bento. Uh, on that climb, he was uh, towards the end of the group. And I think that at that moment, I was already very worried. I think that you saw it. You started saying, first of all, I think in private in, in private to me in chat, well, his positioning is pretty off. And then you started saying, well, his legs don't look great either. And once you've got those two things set up, then <laughs> yeah. it's not looking too good for the rest of the stage, does it? I, mean, I know, and that's what happened. You, you see Ineos 
I was somewhat surprised they didn't attack with Nardavice. I mean, Evenpool's yep. positioning was really bad, and he could have moved up. They got to road sections where there was no – they weren't fanned all out blocking the road. There was opportunities to move up. Almeida was up there fourth, fifth wheel. He had moved up at a certain point. So Evenpool's just lingering at the back, Simon Yates style, but – uh, you're less concerned when Yates does it because that's just what he does, and he seems to be fine riding in that fashion. Whereas I don't think that's where Avonapol or Quickstep wanted him to be. So Ineos basically let the other teams do a bit of the work. They don't try and bridge across to Foss and Bennett, who probably would have worked with them. I thought that could have been an option. Moscon bridging Bernal across, and it's basically all together. None of the GC contenders are getting dropped, and then finally we've got. The like last or second to last gravel section, and we see Moscon coming to the front, and we know it's time. And Narvaez first. Narvaez was pacing the road descent beforehand. A little bit curious, maybe not entirely necessary. Even a pole had moved up to fifth wheel at this point. So we've got, I think, if I count correctly, twenty under twenty k's to go. About twenty two k's to go. Second to last gravel sector, a longer climb. Evenepoel's moved up to fifth wheel on this road descent. They hit the base of that gravel, and Evenepoel just we immediately see on the overhead shot he's being spat under the pressure of Narvaez and Moss gone. He's gone from fifth wheel to the back of the group, and it was it, it was almost game over for him at that point, particularly with Moss gone pulling and Bernal looking so good. All the other GC contenders were right there, and that's with twenty k's to go. Five kilometers later. Five kilometers later, Almeida goes back to help Avonapol for this last descent with about 15 kilometers to go. We'll talk about what should have happened there, but I'm just saying that's a long time. And, yeah. and Avonapol has been dropped on that climb as Bernal and Moscon have accelerated. He's eventually lost the gap. There's a short, des- short descent sections where he's losing. He just loses touch and he's in the hoods going really slowly into a little short descent in the gravel, loses touch. That is it. And the group just is working really well ahead. And did you expect anything different, Benji? What what did you see? Was it mostly Bernal or who EF were contributing as well, even Movistar at times? Yep. It was uh it was quite intense that EF had so many riders still involved at that point because Garfi on the on the previous climb was actually looking a bit man when it comes to bike handling on the climb itself. He was off-road for a few times, but eventually he had no issue uh, in the end because he had, like, I think two to three teammates still. Absolutely crazy how they were pacing there. And if you've got so many teammates pacing against that Emko Evenepoel behind with one teammate, then you're going to gain time. But to be honest, on the descent section, I feel like the gap went down a bit. I think it went down to, like, 50 seconds, 45 seconds from the 1 minute 20 that Remco Evenepoel got behind on the previous climb. And I think that was due to the fact that Almeida finally got back to the uh, yep. to the group that Road Evenepoel was in. Too. Yep, correct. And uh, during that descent, they crawled back a bit. But you know that the last Terado section is upcoming just after that descent. You know it's coming and you know you're going to have trouble if you get on it because it's also going uphill just after the Terado section. You've got no time to just quite simply, uh, yeah, rest. You've got no time to rest after the yeah, Serato exactly. section. It's all up and down. And exactly. he's, trying to, he's been trying to bridge back to moves all day. We should respect the break a little bit, Benji. Correct. Therese de Bont, Mauro Schmidt and uh, Kovi have gone clear U- UAE 
Alpacin and Quebeca Assos. They've dropped Kluger, who'd been working Mohoric style for Maida. Well, Kluger's working in that fashion for Van Hocker attacking, looking really strong, but neither of them were able to get into that group of three. They go clear, and eventually they drop to Bont, Schmidt, and Covey. They go over the top of the Lume Spento and with about three 4Ks to go, and you've got this descent quite technical actually into the finish, Siena style. With It's very hard to pass, and then there's a lot that they have a left-hand corner and they're like 250 metres plus of a sprint, which is a long sprint with no lead out when you've had a tiring day in the break. Those two, Schmidt and Kobe, they attacked each other a few times then pretty much just accepted it was going to a sprint. They go side by side. They open it up with 250 metres to go and Schmidt just had the legs to keep sprinting all the way to the line. Probably, the, I'd say definitely the underdog to Kobe, who's like supposed to be improving. It's a good stage from him as well today. But yeah, I think Kobe would have been the favourite for that sprint. They were kind of overshadowed by the GC action in Avonapol, but I've got to say, 21 years old, Mauro Schmidt, first Crazy. year at World Tour level, come from Conti level from last year. Unbelievable, Benji. Do you, do you know any, any other tidbits about him, or has he just come out of nowhere? I don't have a clue. I know that he's written well because I remember his name in the top 15 or, or top 10 somewhere, but I don't know the history of him. I, I, I'd have to look him up on pro cycling status or first cycling. So... I, I generally don't know. I can't add more about this rider. It doesn't happen often, but with Schmidt, it, it seriously does. But next to the wonderful performance by Mauro Schmidt in that uh, breakaway, taking home this first victory quite amazingly, we also still had the action behind. And I think that it all started spicing up again the moment that, well, it never stopped spicing down. But um, I think the second that we hit the last auto section and the climb after it, we... Yeah. Uh, we saw Emko in trouble, quite genuinely. He was behind. Almeida was still there. But at a certain point, I think Attila Walter was in the same group as him. And they had a, a gap of a good one minute, one minute ten to the group ahead. Yeah. And Emko just lost the wheel. He could not follow anymore on the uphill section. Complete trouble to follow. Of Almeida. Exactly. Of his teammate. Walter dropping them both, which is fun to see. But at the end of the stage, it didn't really come into play. But towards the... Uh, Towards the top of that climb, you also saw some action in the group ahead, right? Oh, Vlasov. Yeah, Vlasov was very aggressive, even on the flatter sections of that climb. And the problem was Vlasov mistimed his attacks today. Again, I think yep. he's EF had three riders in the group, Carthy, and then he had Betiol and I think Guerrero working for him as purely as domestiques because the break is gone. So no stage win chances, but you've got Betiol pacing like mad. So Vlasov attacks, Betiol's like nut pacing that back. So that's his first attack. And then after that, there's an acceleration from Ciccone. Bernal's got no domestique. So Bernal is actually conserving a bit. He's not just going to pace this group. But every GC contender here pretty much, except for Avonapol. Bernal's not going to be played like a fool, even though he's around the Malia and burn himself completely and then get attacked in the last steep section of the Lume Spento climb. So he's sitting in, but he's he gets fortunate because Bahrain have Bilbao pacing for Caruso. EF, as I said, have riders pacing for Carthy. So he doesn't have to, and those attacks from the other GC contenders get brought back, except for Buchmann. Emmanuel Buchmann has a well-timed... Well, I don't even know if it was well-timed. It's just the respect wasn't put on his name the same way Vlasov was. 
When Vlasov attacks, Bernal follows and closes, or EF. When Bukhman attacked, he looked behind three, six, four times. He's looking, guys, I'm about to attack. He attacks, not a hard acceleration, and they let him go. Maybe it was perfect timing because everyone was tired on that point in the climb. Ciccone was getting dropped. Nibali's being dropped. Soler's dropped after he'd uh, sort of had an acceleration earlier. And then Carthy attacks with three Ks to go. Bookman's got a healthy 12 to 15 second gap. Tobias Foss is up there <laughs> attacking after Vlasov has counted off Carthy's move. Vlasov, a nice attack. He's got Bernal on his wheel. And this Benji, say the word, we didn't. I didn't think it merited it the other day, but this move from Bernal was something else. Oh, I honestly don't know what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> I think that a lot of people might know, but I just lost the word, I'm afraid. So uh, was it thermo, thermo, nu- thermonuclear? Thermo- yeah. Thermonuclear. It's not thermobiblical. Like, you just settle down. You've got to win the race for that. But it's thermonuclear attack from Bernal, countering off Lasov. He all goes over the, out of the overhead shot with 2.4Ks to go just in the last bit of that climb and he's bridging across to Bookman at a rate of knots and good for Bookman as being a satellite rider because Bernal gets across to Bookman he says to him he flicks get on my wheel he's not concerned about Bookman on GC as at this moment he's more concerned about gapping Carthy and Vlasov and keeping the gap to Avonapol which is stabilized because of all this messing about Carthy Vlasov Soler Chikone all attacking that gap's just stabilized at about two minutes so Bernal's working with Bookman, they pace through the line. Bernal doing about 80% of the work. Bookman contributing, and then Bernal outkicks him at the end to be the first of the GC contenders and look the most dominant of them, frankly, too. So yep. here's the here's the full results, and I'll sort of categorize it GC and, and break. It's pretty polarized. Top 10, Schmidt, Covey, Van Hoeker, De Bont, Guglielmi, Batayin, Kluger, Gavazzi, Van der Horn, Lawrence, Narsen's the top 10. So great stage win from Schmidt and Covey. Van Hocken missing out. GC men now start at 11. Bernal on 3.09, three seconds ahead of Buchmann and 23 seconds ahead of Vlasov. Vlasov overextended, I think, again today, attacking before Bernal and it got countered by Bernal again. And he should have been finishing with Bookman at least. He was as strong as him. Caruso, fourth of the GC men, 26 back in a group with Yates and Foss. I think Yates looked very good today. Foss, I cannot believe they dropped him back to help Bennett earlier. Doesn't look good. And then Carthy lost another six seconds to 30 seconds plus back. And then big gaps now. Ciccone, he fully cracked in the last five kilometres, losing a minute and 50 seconds almost to Egan Bernal. That's a big loss. Mark Soler lost a lot of time. But the question was, where's Avonapol? And so Avonapol, my maths is correct, lost two minutes and eight seconds to Egan Bernal. I don't think that's a disaster, Benji. I honestly as well. It could have been been a lot worse. Yeah. If Almeida back five... Was it five kilometers or five minutes? But five kilometers. Five, five for five kilometers. Remco had to pace alone because Almeida stayed in the group ahead. I don't know if it's because Remco didn't communicate, but if you're Almeida and you're having to work for someone, oh, no, then you should you. look around. So uh, I don't think Almeida has an excuse here. He should have been back at even pulled the second he got dropped, and it took him five kilometers, which means that the gap probably expanded by twenty twenty five seconds at least. Which um, at the end would 
probably change a lot because that's 20, 25 seconds that is not the gap, but it's also a lot of time that Remco doesn't have to ride alone and is probably having a bit of a emotional tantrum because quite honestly, if you're in this well, situation, yeah, you, you got to focus on, I don't, I don't know, perhaps it's like because he's angry at the team that Almeida's not waiting or it's because he needs to go into the zone or otherwise he's not getting out of this. Uh, I, I don't know which one or the two it is. I don't know that personally, I guess. So uh, I don't blame I don't blame him at Almeida. If people want to point the finger at he wasn't professional today by not going back quickly, I'd like to point out that two days before the Giro d'Italia started, yeah. where yeah. Quickstep and Remco and Lefebvre had been saying he was the GC leader for weeks, two days before the Giro started. We did a separate video on this on the Clips channel. Um Lefebvre came out and said, we're not re-signing Almeida next year's agent wants way too much money. He's not that good. Come on. And uh, yeah. So if I was him, I'd think, well, you're not paying my salary next year. You're going to pay me out this year and I'm moving teams. Doesn't it make more sense for me to get the best result for myself possible here? And also fuck you for that unprofessional comment in the media. And he's like 22 years old. So I see where his head might be at if he didn't drop back on purpose. Maybe he, in his defense, he's at fourth wheel all the time, Benji, and this is the big topic. Why is Remco dropping? You already mentioned, is it the legs? Is it the positioning? Is it the descending? I think it starts firstly with the descending and the positioning. Mm-hmm. The descending on the gravel, his descending on the gravel was uh, terrible, yeah. like really, really bad compared to all the other guys in that GC group. Like they're flying past him on these limit. There's not that many in the last third of the race, descent gravel sections, of the ones that there were, he was losing bucket loads of positions. Then, because he's having to bridge and make back up that those gaps himself earlier in the stage while the other GC contenders are sitting pretty, he's tired. So then when there is an opportunity when it fans out to move up, he doesn't take advantage of it. Now, maybe he just chose not to, but there were opportunities for him to move up as well earlier in the stage. And so he's not holding and fighting for wheels well enough going into the gravel sections, and then he's tired, and then that's taking the toll on his legs. And he's probably first every time he's done a race after a rest day, longest stage race he's ever done at this point. He's coming back from the injury. He's probably not at the level he was before he crashed. That would be almost impossible if he was. So all the positioning and technical issues and descending issues then put more pressure on him physiologically, and then that's why you see the result at the end. But he still recovered well. I mean, if Almeida drops back, this gap could have been 120. So and he, if he doesn't throw the tantrum and if his handling was a bit better. So not a disaster. But, yeah, do you, how do you see it, Benji? Legs, descending, what do you think? I think it's a combination of all of them. I think that, first of all, descending and legs are a consequence of each other. I think that, first of all, the descending and the uh, technique is what caused the trouble on the first section. Positioning... Most of all, most likely, but technique leads to that because once you're in a bad position and you can't move up, that's because you don't have the technique to move up. And um, I think by the time that he was dropped in that second group, he had to spend energy, you have to spend energy going back every time. And then you don't have the legs anymore to try and keep up with people that didn't have to do that. They just had to follow. Well, not that it it is easy to do, but Gannon's wheel. I think that Bernal had to spend a lot of energy to stay on Gannon's wheel in that. But in later that in the race. Auto. It, yep. it actually wasn't that explosive a stage, Benji. Yep. It big break with a lot of names we expected to be there that weren't there. Big break, fourteen minutes. 
taking it easy, the peloton for the first half of the stage. Yes, Ghana put the hammer down, but you look at this 10 kilometers to go, huge GC group with everyone there apart from Martin and Hindley and Remco. So there's Caruso, Bill Bow, there's teams with multiple riders and domestiques there. Tobias Foss and Bennett were there. So that's why it can't just be his handling too. It must have affected his legs as well. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so I think, yes, a combination of all those, how he'll go tomorrow, I'm not sure. Big win for Bernal today in terms of GC. Here are the revised standings. Egan Bernal first, 45 seconds ahead of Vlasov. Caruso now moves into third on 112. Carthy fourth on 117. Yates, 122. Bookman moves up nine spots to 150. Evanapol drops five to 222. Ciccone drops four to 224. Foss moves up nine spots to 249. Martinez loses time today but still moves up to th- uh, 315 back because Volta and Dan Martin and Formolo lost a lot of time. Hopefully Dan Martin and Formolo see the light. Giacone won't see it yet, but hopefully those two go for stages now. Uh, any other thoughts before we get into tomorrow's stage preview, Benji? I think that, first of all, um, we had Caicedo had a, a pretty harsh crash in the stage itself. He's out. Um, that's a loss for Garfi and um, didn't look too amazing in the back of the ambulance, but Let's hope it's not that bad of an injury. Um, I think that's one thing I wanted to look into. Um, I think going back onto all of what happened so far and everybody died last time, I think that the stage did more damage than I expected. I I thought it would do damage, but I did not realize that this would happen. I was still having like one bit of doubt that the stage could disappoint then. And yet it certainly didn't. And we didn't even need the rain for it. There was some rain on the first Cerrado section, but it was barely noticeable. So I don't think that played a big role. I think that Bernal did exactly what we expected from Ineos in general to do on this stage. Hammer it on the Cerrado sections and whoever could follow could follow. And Remco was not one of them. And that's because of, first of all, the positioning mistake we mentioned earlier. The legs not being up to standards most likely as well. Yeah, Bernal's just way stronger too. Yep, exactly. Bernal's the strongest GC rider right now. And it's pretty clear. I mean, I don't know if Yates is conserving. And let's talk about options for tomorrow's stage from Siena to Banjo di Romagna. This could be a tricky stage, depending on how the GC riders want to do it. Uh, It's 212 kilometers long, so quite long. They have a 5K, 5% climb at the start for the break to form, then 7.5K, 6.3%. The intermediate sprint is before that climb. Sagan should try and get the break tomorrow, one would think. They then have the Paso de la Consumer, 17Ks at 6%, but I think it's slightly irregular, that climb. The first half of it is steeper. They then do the Paso de la Calla straight after, 15.3Ks, 5.4%. That is more regular, not that. Not many extended steep sections, longer descent, then the Paso del Caranayo, 10Ks at 5% steep sections. We have a 12% kilometer according to this graphic I'm seeing. This is a fake news climb in my view, 87 7.2%, 12% before a, pretty much a false flat ridge with a f- descent at the end of it. So watch out for that climb tomorrow. It reminds me this stage, Benji, of that stage nine one. What's the one where... The climb where they attacked in the Tour de France last year. We'll have uh, yeah, we'll yeah. have a, the one where Hershey almost uh, yeah. won. 
there's a descent and then a flat 4K run into the finish tomorrow in Banjo di Romagna. Are we finally going to see the GC riders care about the stage win tomorrow, Benji, or is it break again? I think it's break. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's break because, well, first of all, we have the fact that Bernal's in the leader's jersey by 45 seconds, if I remember right, which means yes. that um, his team is the team that is responsible for the race, according to the unwritten rules. Um, Ineos will not be pacing after breakaway. It would be stupid to do so unless people put someone in the breakaway. And... I think that these two great climbs could be nice climbs to do a move on, but it's it's still so long to go. And after today's stage, who will be willing to uh, put the race upside down in stage 12 of a Grand Tour? I, I don't think it will happen, although the parkour, I, I, I love it. I really enjoy this kind of style of parkour. Two major climbs before a smaller one has a bit of the center line as well. And I think that one rider that we might expect to attack is Ciccone because... He attacks on every stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, next to that, I still think that the break has a big chance of doing this. The uphill section at the start will cause for a large breakaway to get away. But then again, if the large breakaway doesn't form on the uphill, we've learned so far from your amazing lessons the other day that on the downhill section and the uh, plateau section on top, rulers might be able to ride away instead of the actual climbers. And a combination most likely on this stage, though, because I don't easily see a ruler winning this in a group with a potential climber in it because those climbs are still quite decent even though the gradient is not 10%. So I think that there's a lot possible here. I think that quite a few teams might have something planned. I think that it also suits the ability of setting someone in the breakaway for a satellite rider perspective. But Ineos, the, pro- the problem is if that happens, Ineos will just sit up in the peloton, they'll let the gap open up. And then Movistar, no, Trek in your example, for example, will have to pace in the peloton to make sure their rider at the front is useful. Because if he's 12 minutes in front on that climb, well, you're going to have oh, to no, wait quite a long up. time, mate. <laughs> you <can> sit up. <laughs> You'll have to just well, sit there by the side of the road waiting for your team to arrive. <laughs> the problem with this stage is a team is going to have to try and make the decision in the bus beforehand, and yep. their GC leader is going to have to say to them, not, I'm feeling so good that we need to work all day. We need to work on those two cat twos, 17Ks and 15Ks at 5.5%. I need you to flog yourself on those. This is to go for the stage, that is, because I believe on the Paso del, del Carneiro, I can kick away from everybody. And there's only one rider that can confidently say that to his yep. team right now, and that's Egan Bernal. And we don't think any else will likely do that unless it's some other team keeps it close for them. Ineos may still do that on the final climb. We may see them pace with Ghana and Castro Viejo on the two category twos, then have Moscon and Martinez smash it on the last cat three. But the break might have already won by that point, similar to what we saw today and the other day. So that's how I'm seeing it again. I like Gino Maida style riders. We do have a descent into the finish, but yeah, I'm going with Gino Mater again. Whew, Gino Mater, that's uh, that's a rider that I think didn't do too well today, if I remember correctly. I think that he ended very okay. far in the race. Last in the race, 170 on 27 minutes. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so after oh. Grunewagen and Consani. Can, and... can I change it? <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you you may change it, but I'll, I will still keep him as like a, a side a side pick it, for you. Uh, 
yeah, but yeah, yeah. in the meanwhile for my pick i think that we'll see quite a few people that are necessarily uh quite a lot of time behind though on today's stage in tomorrow's breakaway i um oh when it comes to a breakaway when i should have thought about this more but we know that Lotto Sudel will need to put people in the breakaway. Will Thomas De Gent do something on this kind of stage? He might. I'd love it. Uh, the problem is that I haven't really seen it from him so far, and that's why I'm in a bit of doubt for this kind of stage. Like, Cepeda has to do something at some point in this race, right? He won't, he won't, mate. He won't on this one, but <laughs> I want it. <laughs> if I have to uh, select someone for this stage from the breakaway... This is way too difficult. Do you have your pick already? Because I'm still thinking. I was going to say Roman Bardet, but he's kept himself conveniently at 3.29. Dan Martin and, and Formula, they're at seven minutes. That's not that far away that the gap can just be let go out. Mm-hmm. You know, that, uh, Teams with riders at two minutes don't want them to take four minutes back. So they're in an annoying uh, sort of territory. I think I'm going to still stay with... <laughs> I'm just going to... Oh. <laughs> Lefay for this one. <laughs> Lefay or Maida. I'm going with. Okay, I'm gonna go with Balcomolima. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Balcomolima or Gianluca Brambilla. Okay, that's our preview of tomorrow's stage. Hope you enjoyed our recap of today's stage and uh, what a you know. It, I don't think it disappointed, but it could have been a bit crazier too. It, no, it did. Uh, no, no, it no, delivered. No, 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 it delivered. Okay. It delivered. It okay, delivered. Okay, okay. With a rider, we said a rider will have serious difficulties. Bernard will be off chops. So it delivered. I'm just saying it didn't go completely bonkers like the Lutschenk, uh, the Vinokurov, Cadell Evans one. But the weather didn't sort of allow that to. That's all from us today. It feels weird to look out into the sunlight to say that. But anyway, times are changing. We'll see if the recap tomorrow. Ciao.